Welcome to ER Debrief Podcast, a recap podcast where two emergency nurses watch and discuss the Emmy award-winning show ER. We're excited to watch the show with all of you, so grab a drink, coffee and wine are acceptable options, and let's get started. Please pause for an important directive from Dr. Morgenstern, Chief of Surgery at County General Hospital. This episode contains heavy themes and serious content. Listener discretion is advised. All stories shared in this podcast have been altered to protect the identity of our patients and colleagues. Any perceived medical advice from the show should not be used for real-life medical concerns. Always consult your personal physician before proceeding with any new practice or treatment. This podcast will include spoilers for the episodes we are discussing, but there will not be any future episode spoilers. Thank you. Hey everyone, just a little extra disclaimer for this episode. A large part of the storyline we cover involves a rape victim. We do discuss the situation at length, which may be sensitive content for some listeners. As always, listener discretion is advised. everybody, welcome back to ERD Briefed. Thanks so much for joining us again on this very cloudy, possibly cloudy Monday. We are back for another episode. Uh, it's episode eight this time around. And uh, Julie is here with us. How are you doing, Julie? Hello. I'm good, thanks. How are you, Melissa? I'm good. Uh, how is your week going? Oh, so far so good. I started a stretch again. I had a few days off, which were really nice. Um, and it was sunny out, so it was just great. And then worked two days, and now I'm going into two nights. So awesome. Got to sleep for a bit before, and then back to work. Wonderful. So you're just like slipping in a podcast in between two shifts. I like it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I've uh, been working nights pretty solidly just because that's what I've been doing lately. And yeah. uh, it's been good. My sleep schedule is a complete disaster. I am just a mess. Uh, yesterday, oh, no. I tried to flip over because I was going to try to pick up some evening shifts. And I just like, I don't even remember what hours I ended up sleeping. Like I slept a little bit in the afternoon and then a little bit in the evening. And then oh I've God. been up since 1.30 because oh, at, no. in the morning because I just like, I couldn't sleep after that. I felt sick most of yesterday because I wasn't sleep. I was trying to stay awake, but then wasn't very successful at that. So it was just like a oh, mess. <laughs> so, yeah. so now I don't really know what I'm going to do today. Like it's like almost noon and I'm like, do I sleep this afternoon? Because I'm probably going to be tired. I don't know. I'm going to try oh. to stay up, I think. Yeah. So we'll see. Anyway, so picking up shifts just wasn't very successful this last couple of days. So, but anyway, that's yeah. It's tough, like with shift work and sleeping because it just really. I think think even when you're on a normal schedule, it kind of screws you up. Like, I find you know even after I think I worked three nights in a row and then had five days off couple weeks ago and I still wasn't turned over after five days yeah it's pretty crazy obviously but I I think that COVID doesn't help this situation because like 
at least when it wasn't COVID, I would like force myself to flip back, back and forth. Whereas now I'm like, well, I don't really do anything different during the day than I do at night. So like, why am I spending so much energy trying to flip? But then I think Mm -hmm. in not trying to flip, I'm getting into like a rougher situation. So I don't know. I need to make more of a schedule, I think, because I think that that's maybe going to cause some serious problems for me soon. So, um, so our general question for each other for the week, I have come up with another one. This question is from uh, Justin Long's podcast. I think we've done a few of his questions in the past. He asks these like rapid fire questions to his guests. And I really like this one. So Julie, if you could be one age for the rest of your life, what age would it be? So you can choose either physically, mentally, or both, whatever you think. Okay. This is a tough one because, I mean, I'm not any older than I am now, so it's hard to know. I would say that if I could stay in the age, it would be this one because I still feel like my body is capable. Like, I feel young. I feel fit. I feel like I can, you know, my body can carry me to do the things that I want to do. And then also mentally, I feel like I've grown through my 20s and matured and learned things. And I also have an established career so I can kind of like have fun with also the maturity that I have now. Not that I'm like super mature, but you know, you have more life experience. Right. Um, Yeah. So I think right now is kind of a perfect time because you have like kind of some financial security and then also just a sort of a young mindset where I you can take advantage of a lot of opportunities. I like it. That's awesome. That makes any sense. You're in your prime right now. I, I, I do feel I love that it. way. I do I feel I'm it. in my prime. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. How about you? So I don't know. I've thought about this a lot because every time I listen to Justin Long's podcast, I think about it. I yeah. think I actually, you're right. It's hard because I'm like 31 I only have 31 years of experience, but I think that I would want to be mentally 40 and physically Uh, like 25. Like I liked like my mid twenties, I think physically I could like, I didn't get as hungover in the mornings if I was drinking Uh and like I was physically a lot fitter than I am now, which like is just lifestyle, but (laughs) I'm sure I could be physically fit now. But yeah, I feel like by uh, 25, I was like good physically, but mentally, I agree with you 100%. I really like where I am now. And I would say in the last like two years, I've really learned a lot more about myself and like wanted Mm. to discover those things and wanted to improve on myself. So mm-hmm. I do agree with you that like now I am mentally in the best place I've ever been, but I think at 40, I might be even better, you know, like if oh, I totally this yeah. trajectory, I would expect yeah. that at like 40, I think I'll have like a fairly good handle on it mm-hmm. and hopefully... Maybe care even less about... Yes, like, yes. Yeah. Exactly. External opinions. Hopefully yeah. I'm not going through like some kind of midlife crisis in which I hate everything yeah. about my life, but like yeah. hopefully that's not the case and that I'm a lot more settled at 40 because I'm just like happy with myself and 
the life that I have or whatever. So yeah, I'm nice. thinking 40. Uh, Neil Patrick yeah. Harris said 40, I think, like his current, uh, is he currently 40? I don't know. He, I think he said 40 when Justin Long asked him this question. And I was really shocked. Physically and mentally, that's where he wants to be is 40. And I was like, whoa, really? 40? So wow. um, maybe I'm like aspiring to be Neil Patrick Harris at 40. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think mentally 40. I think that's, that's what I'm going to go with. Great answer. Well, thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Melissa? Do you have any facts for us today? I do. I have a, a nice little fun fact for you. I was given some advice on my fun facts because I've been saying for the last several episodes that I'm going to run out of fun facts. And a friend of the podcast uh, gave me some advice uh, the other day. She uh-huh. just said, like, there's a ton of, like, facts within each episode that maybe you need to be, like, more focused on specific facts to episodes to help oh. you with the longevity of these facts, which was great advice. I like that advice. Yeah. So I yeah. have brought that into this one. So I okay. just discovered this like two hours ago. So I was super excited about it. So this episode of ER was originally titled Growing Up, but then later they changed it to Nine and a Half Hours. And Nine and a Half Hours is a nod to a... Uh, 1984 film titled Nine and a Half Week. Oh. Yeah. I don't know why. So like I tried to find out why they changed it or like why they did this nod to this movie and I couldn't find that information specifically. Uh, So I don't know if it was just that like producer or writer really liked that movie or what happened but in looking into this movie oh man it's Mm -hmm. crazy. So Now, I haven't watched the movie yet, but I do need to. And I actually think, Julie, you and I need to do a podcast of us watching this movie because it sounds okay. crazy. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> so. Would be happy to. I read a bunch of plot descriptions on like Wikipedia and a bunch of websites. In a sentence, this movie is basically a older, more intense version of Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it was directed by Adrian Lin okay. and starred, it, the stars were Mickey Rourke and Kim Bassinger. Okay. So the, the director, Adrian Lin, also directed Fatal Attraction. Oh. And so basically the story is about a couple who engage in a S&M relationship. The relationship begins like kind of innocently enough. It quickly gets way more disturbing apparently, which involves horsewhip, pretend rape, and... Oh no! Yeah. And then Kim Bassinger cross-dressing as a man and them walking down the street as like a pseudo-gay couple. So the whole thing (laughs) sounds insane. So I'm not sure how this relates to this episode at all. Like I was trying to figure it out a little bit, like trying to connect the movie with this episode. And like, I guess like Dr. Green and his wife are like basically having sex the whole episode. Yeah, I, I feel like that's the only link I can make between the two is that they have this, like, they lived in a bubble for however 
I guess, nine and a half hours. Yeah, it's the only connection I could make. I'm not really sure why they decided to, like, name this. Maybe they cut a bunch of stuff out of the episode that we didn't see. Oh, not yeah, a great Yeah, S&M <laughs> scenes were cut. That would take a very weird turn for this show. But, but yeah, I do think we need to watch it because it sounds wild. So. Okay, I'm into anyway. it. I will definitely watch it. <laughs> Uh, So, yeah, as I said, this episode is titled Nine and a Half Hours. It was written by Robert Nathan. It was directed by James Heyman, and it aired on November 10th, 1994. In this episode, we'll see Dr. Green calling in sick so he and Jennifer can spend the day together, leaving Dr. Ross in charge of the ER. Carter works on a high school wrestler who starved himself to make weight. Nurse Hathaway counsels a young rape victim. Dr. Benton is dealing with his senile mother and butts heads with Dr. Ross. Dr. Lewis is worried about Dr. Svetik's growing temper problem. So we can run into our Jules rating. What did you yeah, rate this episode? Like, not my favorite episode. I think it had a ton of really interesting topics to talk, you know, sink our teeth into and, and talk about. But wasn't my favorite. It was still it, it was still entertaining. I still was entertaining to watch it. I'm going to give it 110 jewels. Yeah. yeah. I'll go with 110. I agree. I was a little bored by this episode, I have to say. It, it didn't have a lot of like yeah. meat to it. It didn't have a lot of like new character storylines, so I was kind of yeah. a little bored. Nothing groundbreaking really happened. Like, there's a few moments where we get, like, little tidbits of things, but nothing crazy. Right. And you have to, like, be watching for those moments. Like, there's nothing that, like, hits you as, like, oh, my gosh. Right? Like, nothing really excellent. So, yeah, I gave it 100 joules. So, yeah, we're pretty pretty close on that score. It's it's kind of – it felt like a filler episode to me. Agreed. But – we're going to talk about it and it's going to become way better once we talk about That's it. That's fair. We'll, so we'll for hype it all up. of you listening, we're not going to be boring. We're the awesome. Show, <laughs> yeah. This show might have been a bit boring in this episode, but we are not. That's right. Stick with us. Okay, so I guess we'll get into the we'll get into the bulk of the episode and talk about what happened. We open with Peter looking for his salad in the fridge, and I loved this shot like from the back of the fridge and he's like rummaging around. And he's just distraught, and he's like, who ate my salad? Does anyone know where my salad is? We need to clean this freaking fridge out. And this is so real, because this is something that we struggle with at work all the time. Someone took my lunch home, because they have the same Lululemon bag. Somebody, like, stole my burrito out of the freezer. Like, where's my lunch? It's somewhere at the back, and it's just, it's a mess in there. And now we actually have people that are, like, dedicated to cleaning out the fridge. Yeah. And they have to, like, post a notice, take your shit home because it's going in the garbage if you don't claim it. It's so relatable. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, this happens all the time. Like, moldy food, gross stuff in our fridge, like... Yeah, we have like a oh, double yeah. fridge because of all the staff that we have. And yeah, it's just it's, must be quite the task to clean that crap out. Do you know how they got that job? Because I feel as if I would never volunteer to have that as a job that I would do. Yeah, I don't know if they were volunteering 
volunteering or they were voluntold to do it. I'm not sure <laughs> how that goes. I'm not sure either. Um, but Maybe someone can let us know. I mean, we do have yeah. like a couple of people in the department that are like the moms of the department. So like that's very true. Are maybe not as grossed out to just do it, but it's nasty in there a lot of the time. It's so, nasty. Yeah. It's a lot better than it ever has been. When I first started there, it was pretty bad in Emerge, but now it's way better. It's much more tidy. That's People are doing a better job. True. And I think because we're doing regular cleanings now that it's a lot better. Yeah. But yeah, and I, it made me think because Dr. Benton lost his salad or somebody took it, uh, it made me think of a doctor we used to have who would come in and take people's lunches. Like he would just come in and he would just shop through the fridge and eat whatever it was that he thought t- looked the best. I remember Often that. Often would that. do that. Yeah. And it was always kind of like, you're yeah. a doctor. Like go to the cafeteria. Yeah. Like you were working during the daytime. You're not working at night. Like just go to the cafeteria. <laughs> like Yeah, and I remember people confronting him about it and being like, you can't do that. Like, you can't steal people's lunches. And he was kind of like, "Mm." yeah, whatever. Eh. Yeah, it was pretty absurd. (laughs) It made me laugh watching this episode because I was thinking about him, which was really funny. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone loved him, but also like, no, like, don't take people's food. (laughs) They have to work 12 hours. Yeah. There's a very, like, distinct love-hate relationship with this doctor. Oh, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Next, Div Spedic is added again with his anger. He comes up to the desk, and he's pissed at Jerry for losing a chart, and Jerry is, like, super busy and swamped and is trying to apologize, and Div is like, don't apologize, just do your damn job. Like, seriously, this guy needs to chill out. Yes. Like, what's your... He's got some serious issues, and I know we've talked on this, we've we've already talked about it, but, like, he's got some problems, yeah. major problems. Definitely he has does. no compassion for his patients, as we see. He's almost, like, vindictive, like, like, he admit he, like, exacerbates situations and makes them worse instead of doing his job and trying to bring people down, like, to a, to a level where they can be spoken to. Right. We'll see if... We'll see an example of that later with the, with a patient he has. But Susan tells Jerry to, like, just ignore Div's attitude. And we later see her talking to him. And she's like, is everything okay? Because you're snapping every, like at everyone. And it's not making any sense. And Div doesn't seem to think that he owes anybody who's below him respect or an apology. Um, and I think Susan is kind of on to this guy. And, they're not going to last very long. Yeah, it's def- you can definitely see the cracks developing, right? Like, yeah. Susan's embarrassed by his behavior. She's trying to talk to him about it, and he's not very receptive. Like, he brushes her off and is like, fine, I'll never yell at another desk clerk. Like, it's just, okay, buddy. Yeah. Like, like don't be yeah, a Yeah, he has a name. His name is Jerry. Right, right. Yeah. Like, and you all work together. Yeah, yeah. So. we're all on the same team. And, like, if you're nicer, maybe Jerry would be more helpful. Like... Right. Truly. Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe no one wants to help you because you're a dick. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Maybe that's why. Uh, It's clearly a very busy day in Emerge. Phones are going off. People are running around and there's tons of charts. 
being brought to the docks for them to see. Doug is like drowning in charts and Mark has called in sick to the hospital, but he's not sick. He's canoodling. Yes, he is. With Jen. <laughs> and uh, throughout the day, we just see Doug continue to kind of spiral. And he's like, where is Mark? How does he deal with this shit? And Mark is held captive <laughs> yeah. at home. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we head into our kind of first storyline with a woman named Jamie, who was brought in by police. At first, I didn't quite understand what was happening with her, but she's talking about how she let something happen and she's not sure what to do about it. And eventually she sort of finds out that this girl was sexually assaulted by, I think, a friend of her boyfriend, right? Yeah, yeah, it sounds like that, yeah. Yeah, so she's assaulted by a friend of her boyfriend's and her boyfriend seems to think that it was consensual. So he believes that she's cheating on him. Carol is starting to figure out like, oh, she she was raped and didn't give consent to this guy. And Carol says, you know, did you say no? And like Jamie says, yeah, I said no. And she's like, well, no isn't enough. And they should have stopped um this guy should have stopped what he was doing and I guess this part just made me feel disheartened for two reasons and that's that you know this is a super upsetting storyline and everybody should be upset by this but also that the conversation is still the same now that it was 20 years ago 30 years ago yeah yeah that's very true and we haven't actually progressed at all yeah I don't think yeah that's very true. Maybe we're having more conversations about it, but it sounds like this was something that was talked about because this was in the 90s and they touched on this very strongly. So right. yeah, it just makes me feel that we haven't really progressed. Although, you know, sometimes it can take decades and decades to progress with things as a society, but I like that this show brings up these topics that are important and they're even important today but I guess part of me in this episode realized topics such as race and sexism and sexual assault were still there like these are still such big problems and they we haven't really moved on from them I guess by moved on I mean we haven't like we're still having to tell people what consent is. Right, right. Like pr- moved forward with anything. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. agree. I agree. That's um, a good point. I didn't think about it that way, but, but you're right. Like it's a very similar situation that we would see now, right? Like coming in and like yeah. rape kits seem like the same situation. Like it's the same process. It's the yeah. same stuff that we're doing. Like the photographs that the police officer yeah, that was taking were very graphic, like very personal photos. Yeah. I was kind of yeah. surprised at that because I've never seen that occur. I don't think that that necessarily, maybe yeah. like if there was they, other they, like bodily bruises or abrasions, then maybe they would be taking photos like mm-hmm. in a police station with that. But but yeah, I'm yeah. not like direct photos like between her legs is a really inappropriate, yeah. in my opinion. I don't know what the like actual legal oh, yeah. issues are with that. But but yeah, that just seemed, I was like, oh my gosh, they are just like full on taking photos of her. I know I had a preceptor 
who was a forensics nurse and she would do rape kits on women and she had to take the photos. Mm -hmm. So it was just her and the patient, maybe one other female nurse, but she would take pictures, but she always, you have to always get consent to take the photos. And it was just her, like very private, like no flashes going off, like in the show. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it was almost like a photo shoot, like, picnic you're doing great honey it was and like the door like the windows were open like the there was no blinds on the windows like I was just like oh my gosh and like even when Carol was doing um the like rape kit the I noticed the blinds on the window to outside were open and I was like oh maybe this is something you should be a little bit more careful about like yeah I don't know I've never seen photographs being taken before like I've been involved in a few of those yeah. situations and like I've never seen actual photographs be taken. I haven't either, but I've actually never been present for an exam before in that way. Oh, okay. But I do know that um yeah that this preceptor of mine the she would take samples and take mm-hmm. photos if there was trauma. I could see if there was trauma, like maybe there just wasn't in the cases that I have dealt with, there just wasn't trauma to photograph. So, right or like visible trauma like that, but so they have to do this rape kit on Jamie, and she's unsure whether or not she actually wants to go through with processing the rape kit. It sounds like she seems really on the fence, and she doesn't think so. Jack is her boyfriend, and Todd is the man who she alleged to have raped her. Um, so she doesn't think Jack will believe her, and she's like, this isn't going to help anything. I don't want my name, like, plastered on the news that I'm charging someone of this. Like, she doesn't want to be raked over the coals, which is what happens with so many women who accuse their assailant of raping them. Right. So it's a super traumatic experience to go through, and you've already just experienced something really dramatic. Right. So. And just before we move past her, yeah. as a complete side note, yeah, that cigarette that she smokes is yes. super long. It's the yeah. longest cigarette I've ever seen. Yeah, it's very And long. she's smoking inside the emergency department. I know. Like, so here's my take on allowed. that situation. Yeah. Okay. Here's okay. my take on that situation. I think that Carol was like, I'm just going to let her do this because maybe it'll help her open up to me. So I think she wasn't about to be like, put that cigarette out. She just like right. brought her a basin and was like, here's your tray. Here's your cigarette yeah, or but your like, ashtray. The hazard, the hazard of that. I know. The amount of oxygen we have pumping into the department, period, is yeah. dangerous. But totally. then like to be in an exam room and be lighting up where there's like the oxygen hookups are like right there. It's yeah. super dangerous. Like you shouldn't, I understand wanting to do it for like a comfort thing. I know. Like, I I, (laughs) I was just like, oh my gosh, the place is going to (laughs) blow. I don't think that she did the right thing by allowing her to smoke. But I also think uh, it was just a risk versus benefit decision that she made. Let me just see. I wanted to find out when they stopped smoking in hospitals. Yeah, that's a good point. Because, yeah, I wonder if they just, yeah, it was allowed then. Wasn't a big deal. It says that there were designated smoking lounges in the 90s throughout in hospitals. Um, It says smoking was allowed in hospitals at least through the 1970s. And there were designated smoking lounges 
through the 90s. Yeah, I'm not shocked by that. Yeah. But but yeah, it's just kind of like you kind of do have to be careful in a hospital because you just don't oh. know like what's going to I mean, she's in a private room and like she's not on oxygen specifically, so like I guess your risk is somewhat yeah. lower. But but yeah, it's a pretty dangerous thing to totally. Do. They even said it even says in the mid 80s that in psychiatric hospitals, they were allowed to smoke in common areas. So it wasn't oh, okay. that much longer after. Yeah, that's true. And like psychiatric yeah. makes so much more sense, right? Like you kind of need to be allowing psych patients to smoke. Yes. Otherwise you're going to have like riots on your hands. But could you imagine yeah. still being able to smoke on a psych ward? No, like, that's yeah. not super yeah. weird. I could understand like going so out to like yeah. going outside and smoking outside, but yeah. Anyways, moving on. Uh, we continue with the storyline here, and in the sample they found that they took from Jamie, they found three different samples of DNA. And so Carol goes back to Jamie, and she's like, "Hey, this is what we found in the sample. What really happened? Because something's not adding up here. Your story isn't adding up to what we." found she is distraught and she basically says that she got really drunk drunk and she was at Todd's house there were two other guys there and she doesn't remember anything else and but you know she's thinking back she starts having a bit of a meltdown obviously and I think she's recognizing that she basically got gang raped by three dudes yeah pretty intense yes. thing to just be remembering yeah. I thought Carol came kind came in kind of hot with that like, yeah she, she did. Was, like came through the door like pissed off about this lie which like I guess I get because like I mean I don't know if Carol was thinking that like she was lying Mm -hmm. about the whole Mm -hmm. thing now like suddenly it's consensual that like the whole thing was a lie maybe that's why she was so angry but like she came in real hot uh, into that room I was kind of surprised and she's been working in a merch for a long time people lie to us all the time about what happened to them and then maybe throughout the shift, you get more and more information. You learn more and more about the situation because they, I don't know, they're more comfortable revealing more. Maybe they start to remember more about what's happened in the last couple of weeks or what they were feeling. Um, but it's not unheard of for a rape victim to, A, not remember all of the events of the trauma, especially if she was under the influence and doesn't really remember. But I guess maybe maybe this wasn't well known then, but it's pretty well known now that part of a human being's response to stress and trauma is to forget things. And she maybe have maybe blocked it out because it was that traumatic. Yeah, I thought it was kind of insensitive of Carol. Could have said like, hey, this is the new information that totally. we have. Is there anything more to this story that you want to totally. tell me? Like And I mean, like it sounds like Jamie was kind of in and out of consciousness throughout this whole thing. So makes sense that she would. Yeah. Anyways, you're right. She came in super hot and it was unnecessary. Carol. Yeah. It was just yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> uh, we come back to her later, but 17-year-old, the 17-year-old kid passes out at school and he's on the wrestling team. So he comes in unconscious, but he's having some cardiac arrhythmias. Uh, PVC is... They see he's in a heart block, and Connie then goes, uh-oh, extra beats. Have some extra beats in there. <laughs> uh-oh. <laughs> and uh, they don't know what's going on with this kid. Um, they mention that he's got really low potassium. Um, so they insert a central line. Again, no sterile field. 
here. No sterile field. And uh, nope. <laughs> then this kid goes into supraventricular tachycardia, which is not a good arrhythmia to have. They shock him a few times, but nothing seems to help. So they decide to put in a transvenous pacer through the central line that they put in. And they put in the correct one that you're able to actually put a transvenous pacer into. Yeah, I was impressed. Again, no sterile field, but who needs that? Who needs sterile field? Nope. Um, <laughs> Well, and like the balloon up, balloon down thing didn't, didn't really happen. happen. But like, I get that that's not very exciting. No. Yeah, so, that's true. I mean, the procedure was fairly well yeah. done. Like, I thought it was interesting. Like, they did a really nice job because they they tried. I mean, he was unstable. They maybe shouldn't have tried drugs, but they did like the whole algorithm. Like, they tried drugs first, yeah. and then they tried to defibrillate multiple times. They increased the dose. Even when they were going to defibrillate, this really impressed me is that they said, put the sync button on, which is like a very important step. You know what? I didn't even hear that. No, I was like, whoa, I was so excited. That is so important. (laughs) When they were doing this, I was like, okay, it's a TV show. Like they're just, it's the junk, like you would say. It's like, you know, all for (laughs) the... for the drama, but I was like, it's Glory. okay, I guess that they didn't put the pacer thing on because this isn't real. But you're, I didn't even hear that they had said that, so that's awesome. Yeah, they did a really actually nice job of it. Like for the most part, most of the algorithm, like on how you would normally manage this with a cardio version, was done fairly yeah. well. I thought, like for a television Agreed. show, like they identified the rhythm, they like tried drugs first, drugs weren't effective. Yeah. So then they moved on to defibrillation. They put the sync button on, which like is a essential yeah. step. That's not very dramatic, but they said it. It was pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, and then Dr. Carter goes and does it. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he, it looks like he's yeah. going to. And then, yeah. And then they couldn't, the defibrillation wasn't working. So then I thought it was weird. I was like, oh, it's super weird to start a transvenous pacer mm-hmm for SVT, yeah. I've never seen I've never that. seen like, that done I mean, before. I guess it makes sense that it would work, but like, because sometimes I think like very rarely they'll put in pacemakers for severe SVT, but I think that like, I was like, oh, that's a really weird way to manage it, yeah. but effective, I guess. Like it definitely, I can't see why it wouldn't work. Not your typical situation, Yeah, but there was nothing else that was effective. So yeah, I've never seen an SVT not respond to cardioversion. Yeah, exactly. But they did a really nice job. I thought that the medicine of it all, it was fairly good. Like, yeah. like they didn't do all their sterile technique and like slow the process down because they want it to look dramatic. This kid recovers, right? They revive him. Dr. Carter comes to assess him again and he's in the room doing crunches or like yes. re-ups or whatever he's doing. <laughs> oh my like, God. okay, you're, you're really yeah, better. Way better. <laughs> you're probably better than you were before. Yeah. And the minute he walked in and he was doing, I was like, oh God, this guy totally has an eating disorder because I feel like gymnasts and wrestlers and dancers, swimmers, anyone that has to be like in a leotard as an athlete (laughs) seems to have body issues, Right. you know, like they all seem to talk about the fact that they struggled with an eating disorder at some point in their life. Identifying it as a leotard is a really good way of saying <laughs> it. Like that's so right. Anybody who has wears spandex of any kind, possibly. They're afflicted. thinking about what their body looks yeah. like. Yeah. And I think that wrestlers don't often get looped in because they're typically 
dudes and they don't get linked into the I don't I don't know for sure maybe there were a lot of women female wrestlers but when I was growing up in school and there did I have a wrestling team I think there was a wrestling team at one point or I don't really know but they were mostly men that did it or guys often I think people don't believe that guys suffer from eating disorders right. so it's not talked well, about and much. which is why I think that wrestling is a really dangerous one because like weight class yeah. matters so much right and like yeah. you want to drop a weight class because then you're the biggest guy in that weight class or the strongest right so you have a higher likelihood of beating right. your opponent if you drop a weight class yeah so yeah like I think that wrestling maybe it's it's weirdly like in my thoughts, when I think of eating disorders, I think of wrestlers. Um, but I don't know if that's just because, like, I've, I don't know, come oh, across yeah. more of that of an, as an issue. I don't know whether that's, like, television-based or because uh, I don't personally know any wrestlers that have eating disorders. But I think that yeah, it's definitely, like, of the male possibilities, wrestling seems like it would be or like mm-hmm. a boxing kind of situation like where you anything with a weight class right um, would yeah. would matter right like it, or it's a lot bigger deal I never heard about it like when I was in high school junior high I've only heard about it being a problem in the last few, mm, few years fair enough I only ever heard that wrestlers struggle from that and then when I heard it, I was like yeah percent right that they would right but, yeah, it yeah. totally makes sense. So, yeah. So Carter has a little heart-to-heart with him, and he's like, yeah, I used to wrestle, and I think you're starving yourself, and your labs show that you are not eating. We don't get any follow-up with this guy, but right, we're hoping he goes off to have better body yes. image. And, like, fix this problem. And maybe get some caps. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Also, something that I was going to mention for this kid. So mm-hmm. during the code where yeah. they are like defibrillating him. Uh, we meet a new nurse. Her name is Lily. She is very, like, she has a very small role, identifies the lab. She tells uh, Dr. Lewis about the potassium level. And then there is a part where she is like, I think maintaining his airway. Anyway, her name is Lily. She oh. is going to be a staple in the future. This is the first episode we see her. Oh, to be honest, I didn't even notice no, her. No, yeah, she's just she just blends into the background. But I did see her because I was like, oh yeah, she she actually stays on the show right up until the end, like until season fifteen. So she is a big oh. staple in the future. Um, but this is her first episode. She's played by Lily Marie. Yeah. She's she is Asian. She's an Asian nurse. So she brings a little more ethnicity. Diversifying. Brings a little more ethnicity yeah. to the group. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So. Very good. I'll have to watch yeah. out for her. Take a look. Kale catches Mookie James coming in. And Mookie James is that boy who needed, who she wanted Peter to suture last time because he was kind of getting into a bad crowd and she thought that Peter could be a good influence on him and she set up sort of like was it an internship that she started with like set up for that I think so it sounds like it's just like a volunteer like unpaid position so that he didn't have to go to juvie right right that's right community right yeah that's that's the right word yes yeah Halle catches him coming in late and she just schools him and gives him a lesson and we find out 
that Halle makes $30,000 a year. Uh, no, it's the doctors that make 30000 I think, is what she said. Because he asks what doctors Are you sure? Make? Mm, I thought it was that. Maybe I'm wrong. No, I thought oh, it was her. Oh, okay. He, I thought he was just like, how much do you make? And he's like, that's not very much. And she's like, oh, oh okay. Yeah, maybe it is. Like, has sympathy oh, for that's her. That's fair. I think. I hope I. Yeah. That right. Um, I'm sure you're right. But I mean, now nurses in the U.S. get paid much more than that. Right. <laughs> well, and like. I mean, yeah. in the 90s, that would have been a little bit more, right? Like Totally. With yeah. inflation, things have right. changed. Sucks. But I also think it sounded like that wasn't right. Yeah. I think still it's not very much, I guess, from a county hospital yeah. like that. She brings him to see Peter and Peter is like, oh, damn. Like, okay, got to take this kid. And he brings him to the break room and gives him some gloves and says like, all right, clean up this fridge. <laughs> Comes full circle <laughs> to that fridge. Yeah. That was a great job for him to have. I thought that was genius. Yeah, <laughs> super, super yeah. job. We learned that Dr. Lang, Sarah, gets uh, the Starzl Fellowship and Peter doesn't. He kind of plays it off that he's not upset, but he visibly, like you can see, he's right. upset. Later, Sarah comes to talk to Peter and Peter congratulates her. He passes it off that he like doesn't care and he's like, whatever, you know, doesn't matter. And she was like, you know, it makes sense that I would have gotten it. And also I can help you. I can make you a better surgeon. She totally calls him out. And then she was like, I also think I know what, partially why you're upset. And that's because you want to get with me. Like you're into me. Yeah. And he was like, not only do I not want to get with you, but I haven't even thought about it. He's like, I don't even think about you. It's basically what yeah, it was a said. little harsh. It was harsh, but he also said it with this sly grin. <laughs> I was like, clearly this guy is lying. Obviously, he's thought about it. Obviously. Don't even pretend. Yeah, absolutely. And it was definitely a power move that he pulled to, like, get his power Right, back. right. Absolutely. Whatever. He didn't want to give in to her. Yeah. I was going to say, she turns around and she's like, you're lying. Like, I know yeah. exactly. Which I love, yeah. right? She's yeah. like, oh, yeah, screw you, Peter. Yeah. I know better. Yeah. Yeah. That was so good. <laughs> I know what you yeah. want. Yeah. <laughs> we... Kind of come into this part, there's this little boy that Doug is, has seen, and he's got this sore throat. He's a little bit too old to have croup, which is really common in younger kids. And he's kind of like, oh, I don't really know. So they run some tests. Later, Halle comes up to him and she's like, he stopped breathing. He's hypoxic. Like, he needs an airway now. He needs to be intubated. So he runs over. The kid is laying on the bed. And he's like, it's probably epiglottitis, um, which is swelling of the epiglottis. And it can be very dangerous. So he's trying to get this tube into this kid's throat and he just can't do it. Like he's like fumbling with it. He's struggling. It's a difficult airway. At the same time, this guy comes in and he's a crash and collapse, they call it. And Peter ends up stabilizing him. While he's stabilizing this patient, he looks over and he sees that Doug is struggling with this kid. And he's like, what's going on over there? Struggling with the intubation. He goes over and puts in an airway into his throat, but with a, a needle. I think it's like a needle crike is what they say. Yeah, just a cannula, yeah. right? Yeah. So he does a needle crike to get the airway and kind of oversteps Doug, which, ooh, that's pretty risky. Yeah. Like, 
If any doctor were to do that, I feel like it would not go over well. It would be more like a conversation of like, hey, do you need any help? Like, can I help you out here? You just hope that that doctor who was struggling would be able to admit like, yeah, I need help. Right. Which is like the structure of a code room. Like, because I could see some people like seeing that as like, well, Dr. Benton got it done and Dr. Ross wasn't doing it. Yeah. But it's so essential in a code to have designated roles and like a lead physician and then a secondary physician, right? So like you have Mm -hmm. somebody who's in charge, which is your lead physician. And if you don't have that strong lead person, chaos ensues, right? Like, and the patient is at risk. It's really dangerous. And I've had situations like that before where you've got two physicians in there because usually you have an airway physician and then one that's running the whole thing. And I've had issues with having too many physicians in there at once or like too many voices at once. Because if more than one physician is giving orders, it gets really confusing and they could end up being contradictory orders. So like Dr. Benton really makes an error here because half of the nurses are going to be on his side and half of the nurses are going to be on Dr. Ross just because not that they're like taking sides between physicians, but just that they're trying to help both physicians. And then that can cause huge issues, right? So so yeah, I've actually yelled in the code room before because there's been two doctors yeah. giving orders and it easily creates chaos. Yeah. And so sometimes you just need that like, hey, like who is lead yeah. here? Who are we listening to and yes. who are we not listening to, right? And 100%. it just checks everybody yeah. to be like, oh yeah, no, we should only be listening to one person. So, but yeah. yeah, it was, it was a great example of that. I thought, cause it was like, it's easy, especially yeah. when it's a tense situation, it's a kid, right? It's easy for everybody just wants to help. Everyone's goal is to save this kid's life. But like, if you yeah. have two yeah. differing physicians, then you could end up hurting the kid more than helping him. Right. So yeah, Dr. Benton screwed up. I also think that Doug could have just said, yes, I need Yes, help. I agree. Or, I, I agree. Help. Because he was fumbling and with an airway, you do not have time. Right. You don't have time to be fumbling. So if you need help, you need to ask. It was both of their issues. Like Dr. Benton should have asked to help. Yeah. And Dr. Ross should have accepted that help. They should have both been involved in that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, with especially with a kid like you, you're really gambling if you're gonna be fiddling with an airway and take it near he wasn't taking his time he was obviously trying to get it but you need to recognize when you need a hand yeah Yeah, it was a good um dialogue on maybe the dynamics of a code room or like an actual recess yeah situation it was good and then later doug and peter actually like doug kind of confronts peter about this they're on the rooftop and he goes up to him and he was like, I get it that you lost the fellowship and you felt like you had to like exert some control in some way, but that wasn't cool. And then Peter voices some of his insecurities about how he performed in the interview. And Doug says like, dude, you didn't get the job. That's fine. Your second year. That's okay. You just saved two people. Right. Like you're a good yeah. doctor. Yeah, absolutely. Take that as a win. Totally. Apply next year. Yeah, you know? it was really like, good. I thought that was really nice. Yeah. They worked out their problems. 
And yeah, and then Doug kind of helped. And it was good because like Doug knew where this was coming from. Like he understood that like this is because of the interview. This is because he didn't get it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, let's maybe help Mm -hmm. him work through that a bit. Yeah, a good moment. And you hadn't really seen like Doug and Peter together yet, I thought, right? Like they don't have a lot of cross communication. So it was kind of a good moment. So Dr. Benton's mom gets wheeled in by Dr. Carter. Um, and Peter's brother-in-law, Walter, is with them. And he brought her in because Peter's mom hurt her ankle. Peter comes by, and he's like, why didn't you take her to another hospital? And Walter goes, well, it would. I thought it would be nice if you could treat your mom. I was like, oh, family tension. Okay. We learn that Peter's mom had a stroke that has impaired her in probably some different ways. But we know kind of with her memory and maybe her personality, things have changed a bit. And we know why she requires help. And there's this moment that you know what I'm talking yeah. about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. There's this moment where Peter's mom has a moment of complete candor. She recognizes Dr. Carter's last name. And she was like, do you have any people in Tennessee? And he goes, yeah, like on my dad's side, there's some people that are from there and she says to Peter I think these people owned our people (laughs) and she's like but you're nice you can come to Thanksgiving dinner and I was like oh I mean whoa I just love that she was so candid but man that really brings you back to how recent slavery was and that like it wasn't that long ago totally that literally rich white people owned black slaves yeah it was quite a moment though. Like so I loved it. I loved it too. Like I loved how just like brutally honest she was. Just sugarcoating yeah. nothing. But yeah, Carter's face yeah. was a it, he had a really good reaction just like, "Oh crap. Like what do I do?" Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was pretty good. Which I thought was interesting because obviously you know, Peter and Carter's relationship is such that Peter controls Carter's career right, right. now. Right, like future. Like he's in control of how much experience he has and his future. So it's pretty interesting, you know, that the tables have turned a little bit in this scenario. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. Later in the episode, Peter and Walter have a moment at Peter's dad's shop, but Peter's dad has since passed on and Walter has taken over the shop. And Peter kind of admits that it's been really hard for him to lose and to not get that fellowship. And his brother-in-law is like, yeah, most people are used to not getting what they want all the time. Um, But you're not like you're used to getting what you want. You know, I really like Walter. He's a kind guy. I don't know the age difference. Like if Peter's older or Walter's older, but I get the sense that Walter is older and is maybe becoming a bit of a father figure for Peter. He's taken over the family business. He supports Peter's mom. It's just a really nice relationship. Yeah, I think so too. And I think like Peter needs that kind of a relationship in his life, right? Somebody that he can talk to, but also isn't going to BS him, right? Like, you know what? You didn't get it. Mm -hmm. Like, suck it up, right? Like, you're on a great trajectory. You're doing really well. Like, you didn't get one thing. It's not the end of the world. Yeah, Yeah, I liked... I like that yeah. candor too. Yeah, it was really good. You know, we haven't really talked a ton about Mark and Jen, but we basically see throughout the episode that they're having 
a lot of sex. A lot. And and they're talking about the relationship a lot. And there's this part where they're sitting together. I'm not sure exactly what what she asks or what they're talking about that prompts this conversation, but he says he doesn't think about anyone else. And Jen looks at him and she's like, what about Susan Lewis? Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, we're just friends. And he gets defensive about it. And I don't know, I get the sense that maybe they've talked about her before. Or, you know, obviously he's been talking about Susan before. But if someone's talking about it, I, or if people are talking about it, I, there's something to Yeah, that. absolutely. Absolutely. This isn't the first time that he's been confronted with this possibility. So, yeah, I think there yeah. people are seeing just what we're there seeing. There might be a little thing. Yeah. Yep, I agree. Yeah. Susan then asked Div Svedek to come to see a man who was brought in by police who, whose behavior is a little bit uncontrollable and he's drunk and he's got a huge gash at his forehead that Susan wants to stitch up, but she can't because he's very erratic in his behavior. And I think we all know how this situation is going to go when she's like, oh, I need to talk to Dr. Svedek. I'm like, great. Right. This is not going to go well. Dr. Svedek is talking to this man and he reveals that he's had a bit of trauma in his life recently that led him down his path, this path. Like his wife was smashed against a phone like, pole and then his son was decapitated. Yeah, it sounds like a car accident happened or something. where like both of his wife and his son were killed. Pretty awful. And then Div basically does nothing with that information and just continues to egg him on and exacerbate this problem and patronize him and he makes the situation so much worse and then of course the guy freaks out because Div is being a jerk and then he's like well we're gonna admit you and you're coming into hospital which is pretty unfair I mean so Susan then says like oh I thought he was just a drunk so then I don't really know why he why she wanted Div to come yeah I was thinking the same thing like I think there is like, I think that the way that Div handled it was completely uncalled for and ridiculous. Yeah. But like, and he shouldn't have been admitted. Like, he's just drunk, yeah. like sober up and then figured out. But like, Susan shouldn't have yeah. consulted Div. Like, I feel like that was yeah. a little bit on the lazy side of things for Susan because she should have waited. Right. She should have kept him as a patient and waited until he was sober And like, if you can't stitch him up, you can't stitch him up, right? If you have to sedate him because he absolutely has to be stitched up, then you sedate him to stitch him. Like, it was super weird how she handled that. Like, right off the bat, she's like, let's call Div. Like, she should have waited until he was sober. And then he would have been calm like he kind of was in the end. And she could have discharged him. Mm -hmm. But instead, so Mm -hmm. it made me think a little bit that like, Div is maybe taken advantage of in the department. Like he's called for like absolutely everything, which maybe isn't necessary. Right. It doesn't excuse his behavior. He's still a terrible jerk. But yeah, Mm -hmm. like I think that maybe they're not utilizing him the right way. So maybe that's part of why he's getting overwhelmed. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Maybe perhaps that's why he's unbearable to work with. Like maybe that's why he's so angry because he just feels like he's taken advantage of as you as right. you just said. Yeah. Susan sent this guy home and he's, like you said, he's much calmer now. Yeah, and that was super weird too, that she just like signs him out and then just sends him on his way, like, because that just isn't possible. If she had to sign him out, yeah, he would have been 
a certified patient. So like legally required to stay if she had to personally sign yeah. him out. If he was a voluntary patient, yeah. then they he probably yeah. wouldn't have even gotten to the unit as a voluntary patient. So I'm pretty sure they would have had to yeah. certify him to legally require him to stay. Yeah. It's a huge deal to like sign out a patient and then just send them on their way when they're certified. I don't know. You're looking at a big problem there. The legal ramifications of that is huge. Totally. And like, what if he left yeah. and hurt himself? Then like, you're even more liable for that situation. I don't know. It was bad. I was like, oh, this whole thing was totally mismanaged. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Susan did not handle this no. well at all. But that concludes um, this episode of ER and I guess our podcast. Um, I do want to say one thing that we didn't discuss. And it is so Dr. Carter has a huge thing for Dr. Lewis now. I'm like, for sure he does. Like, oh, yeah. He's, like, you know watching what? her yeah. interaction with Div, like, when she's, like, yelling at Div, like, to, that he needs to relax and asking him, like, what's going on. Um, Carter was, like, yeah. watching him, watching them the whole time. And then <laughs> Susan has, like, an issue with her car. Dr. Carter gets it fixed for her and he pays for it. Wow. No, she pays for it. No, he paid right? for it in the end. I rewatched this part because I was like, what? So there's an interaction where she is frustrated because oh she's trying to get somebody to fix the car. And yeah. and then that person ends up like not coming or whatever, like not bringing the part. John or Dr. Carter says he knows somebody who could fix her car. And she's like, it's fine. Like, I'll handle it. It'll be fine. And then there's a later mm-hmm. scene where and it's very brief and they like don't highlight it whatsoever but Dr. Carter and the mechanic are like walking from the break room towards the desk and John's like signing something and he says like yeah yeah I'll just pay for it and then the mechanic is like why isn't that lady doctor paying for it it's her car and he's like oh I'll get the money from her later and then the mechanic is like wow like she must be a really good friend because and I can't remember how much he says the cost is but like it's a large amount and John is like yeah yeah, yeah, I'm gonna get the money from her later which like I don't get the impression he's going to actually get the money from her later maybe he is I got the impression that like John was just like trying to brush off this mechanic but like that he was gonna pay for it I don't know Um, I could be wrong I get the impression he likes her too I just don't get that impression from Sue right I agree I think it's a bit of a puppy love kind of totally scenario agree. right now. Yeah, it's like after their champagne roof moment, he like develops a little yeah. crush. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. I love that little like really side storyline that seems to be building up. So it was pretty good. Yeah. All right. So Julie, do you have any other predictions for us? I don't think I have anything new to add. I still think that Jen and Mark are going to break up. I think... Carol and Doug are going to be together. I don't know if I said anything about it last time. I do think that Susan and Mark might have a thing at some point after Jen and Mark break up. I feel like Susan and him might have a little thing. I don't know that it will laugh, but I think they might have a fling and then they'll realize like, now we're better off being friends. Okay. Yeah, I like it. Because they'll, I bet you, I wonder if they'll break up with their partners at the same time. Like she'll break up with Svetic 
and he'll break up with Jen and they're gonna be like oh we're both broken up and like sad and then they're gonna rely on each other Mm, that's a good that's a good little through line I like it I think that's all I got well definitely Sarah and Peter I was on the fence about them before now I think they just go and bang yeah okay (laughs) do you think that they'll actually be in a relationship I'm gonna say no they won't be in a relationship because I'm thinking that Doug and Carol are set up for that long term like through the season's consistent relationship and there can't be two of them mm, yeah yeah and like dr benton just doesn't but, seem like that kind of guy right now like he's so focused on his career no. that i don't know that he would be swayed into a relationship totally i do see him though being with another surgeon mm. i think that part of his attraction comes from a bit of competition with mm. them that's true that's true but that's it that's all i got all right well that ends our episode then i guess Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you, everyone. If you have any issues with anything that we've been saying or you want to, like, give us any more feedback, please feel free to, um, like, DM us on our Instagram account or send us an email. Yeah, because we want to hear from you so we can do another Triggers episode. So (laughs) hit us up with some more information if you've got any or any gripes that you have with what we've been saying. Yeah, we want to know. We want to know, yes. (laughs) Or if you have any questions or things that you would like included in these episodes, we would love to hear. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it. We'll see you guys next week. Enjoy your week. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the episode, guys. This episode is created, edited, and produced by your hosts, Melissa and Julie. Music by Chris Yemes, photography by Ainsley Cardoso-Wagner, and photo editing by none other than your hosts, Melissa and Julie. You can find us on Instagram at erdebriefedpodcast or now on Twitter at erdebriefed. We post updates with new content on there as much as we can. You can also email us at erdebriefed at gmail.com with comments, questions, suggestions, and more. We try to respond as quickly as possible, and we always appreciate hearing your feedback. Thanks again.